0: I woke up this morning and uh, uh, this thought came to me and the Lord kind of spoke this to my heart today and I want to share it with you. And I'm not very good at holiday themed um, messages or sermons, however you want to clarify it. Uh, And I don't say that negatively or towards anyone who is, Um, as I try to be led of the Lord, very rarely does what the Lord lay on my heart match up with the holiday season. However, uh, this morning when I woke up, the Lord kind of brought something to my mind. And uh, I just want to focus on that for a few moments today, maybe challenge you uh, on this Christmas Eve Sunday. Even though it's not Christmas Eve, it's the Sunday before Christmas to maybe challenge you that in this season of Festivities that maybe we would pause for a moment and think about something bigger than just the Christmas season. Matthew chapter 2 is a retelling again of the story of the birth of Jesus Christ. And I want to focus on the particular that a lot of us uh, know when you're regarding the story of the uh, birth of Jesus Christ. If you see a nativity, Uh, You often see these particular characters depicted. um, But I think there is a portion of this story that has become more myth than actuality. And within that, maybe we've lost some of the true meaning. And that centers around the wise men that come to worship at Jesus' uh, feet when he was just still a small baby. And Matthew chapter 2 tells us this portion of the story and I would like to read it to you this morning uh, as a refresher because, and I say that even though you would probably know the story, I think there's some things that have become more Hollywood rendition than Biblical rendition. For example, nowhere in the Bible and nowhere in Matthew's account does it give us three wise men. Um, First of all, the three wise men Uh, come from people assuming that there was only three because there was only three gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Um, But the Bible never clarifies this. And if you know anything about that time and that particular culture of the world, the chances of this three men traveling that great of a distance was was probably very, very, very slim. It would have been probably uh, many more that would have come on that journey. Number one. Number two... The kind of idea that they were traveling across in camels um, was not exactly true, Um, that more than likely they probably would have traveled on horses. Horses, Arabian horses, were very, very common and famous modes of transportation, especially for those of any kind of financial means, by which these men uh, must have had to bring such expensive gifts. So saying all that, I want to read it to you today. So hopefully that you don't get caught up in maybe the myth of the story that maybe you could see and be reminded of the biblical aspects of the story. Verse number one of Matthew chapter two says, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem saying, Where is he? who has been born king of the Jews, for we see have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all of Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all of the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. So they said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, Are not the least among rulers of Judah? For out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men, determined from them what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the young child. And when you have found them, bring back word to me that I may come and worship him also. When they heard the king, they departed and behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them till, till it came and stood over the young chi- where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. And when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother and fell down and worshipped him. And when they opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. When they began divinely went then being divinely warned, warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed for their own country another way. I want to look at a couple aspects of this today and maybe challenge you and I with a fresh look at what these wise men represented and why they were included into the story of the birth of Jesus Christ. A couple things that really strike me here today uh, is, number one, who these men were and what were they really about. Um, Matthew does very little to describe to us uh, these visitors from the east outside of the fact of using the term wise men. The Greek word there is magi. It refers to someone of the educated class of uh, of a Persian man who practiced things of astrology and dream interpretation and uh, um, things of that nature. And so Matthew gives this, this description. Um, they These men would study ancient writings. They would somehow... Uh, they would study different aspects of wisdom and things of that nature. Um, And again, Matthew didn't indicate the number of wise men there were, but he gave us very little description of their journey, where they come from, just the fact that they had arrived looking to worship the king, that they recognized something um, that was different. And these men, because they were studiers of the stars, uh, they were those that... um, would spend time on a nightly basis, in some cases, gazing at the stars, looking at the stars, and um, being able to uh, put pieces together in their world based off the reading of the stars. Uh, The star that appeared to them was different than their normal uh, stars that they had been used to viewing. I, I know in the world we live in, especially in our geographical location here in the state of Maryland and others that are joining with us from other parts of the country. We live in a very populated place of the world. And so um, when you look up at the stars, that's still amazing to see, but we don't see the stars like they would have saw the stars. Uh, they, when they looked up at the stars, the sky they saw would be completely different than what we saw. Not because time has changed, but because of what is called light pollution. In fact, in America, there are only a few are what's called dark zones. These are dark zones that are void of any kind of light pollution. Light pollution is not necessarily when you think of pollution like air pollution. Light pollution is where city streets and house lights and all of the other lights that are artificially produced uh, create um, a pollution of the atmosphere that hides the stars that we see. So when you and I, even on a great, uh, wonderful, crisp, cool uh, um, winter night look up, we see stars, but we don't see them to the magnitude that you could see them here. But if you've ever had an opportunity, To be in a dark zone, whether that's in the ocean or somewhere in the few spots in America, the stars are absolutely breathtaking, especially for some of us, like me, who's grown up in a very urban populated area. I never really get to see that on a nightly basis. Several years ago, my wife and I were out in the western part of the United States, and we had an opportunity one evening to drive out into the desert for about an hour into the middle of the desert. I'm talking about there was a soul in sight. And we got out in the middle of the desert. We turned off the car. And when I tell you it was dark, I'm saying it was so dark that you could not see your hand in front of your face. It was just absolutely black. But when you looked up, It almost, for someone like me who has lived my life in this area of the world where we have a lot of urban population, for someone like me to look up in that desert place, that dark zone, and to see the sky was almost breathtaking. It almost just took your breath right away to see the absolute sheer numbers of stars. For example, when you look up tonight, uh, if it's a clear night, which I'm not sure if it will be, although tomorrow, by the way, there is a Christmas star. It's Jupiter. I believe Jupiter and Saturn will be in perfect alignment about 45 minutes after sunset. This has not happened since I believe around 1226, not the date December 26, but the year 1226 is the last time we had this kind of alignment. And so... Jupiter and Saturn are going to line up perfectly uh, for a few moments and are going to produce a what's called the Christmas star tomorrow night. Uh, but if you go out tonight and if it was a clear night you looked up you could see the stars make out maybe the big Dipper other things that may look familiar to us but on those dark zones when you look up, you can't see you can you almost can't even make out the dark, the 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 the, uh, the voids. In the sky because it looks like the entire sky is blanketed with stars. It's just breathtaking. So when these wise men were looking up, they weren't looking at our stars that we see here in the United States with the light pollution where if a star appears bright, it it gets our attention, right? When there's a planet in the sky, uh, several weeks ago, uh, Mars was very visible right outside of our house just above the tree line, and every night we would go out um and it was dark, you could look up and you could see Mars just hovering right above our trees, and you could make out the faint glow glowing red of the Mars glistening um and so it was very obvious to us because it was there, and it was visible, and you couldn't see very many stars around it. It was just bright enough that it stuck out. That was very much of an intention getter but When you're looking at stars every night that's blanketed uh, with just millions of stars, what was unusual was that there was a star that appeared that got their attention. You see, we often look for God to uh, come with bells and whistles and to shake our world, but what's amazing, uh, God often reveals himself to us during the regular occurrences of our life. I don't think they had any kind of sense that this night that they looked up and saw that star would have been different than any other night. I'm sure they had looked at the stars by that time hundreds if not thousands of times. So they were used to seeing stars. And it was in the middle of that regular occurrence that the star that represented the birth of Jesus Christ got their attention. Can I tell you something here before we go too much further into this story is the fact that so many times I think we miss God because we're looking for the big neon lights that we miss the small stillness of his voice. We're looking for the boom we're looking for the thunder and the lightning and the crashing, but yet we miss the still smallness of his voice. And especially in the world we live in today, that we are so filled with hustle and bustle and go and go and go and go and go and go, that it is so easy for us to miss the small things, to miss the little subtle things that God puts in our life. And we're going, where is God? Where is he in all this? Because we're not focusing on the fact that he is there. But he's not coming with crashing lights. It's just a star that appears. We've looked at stars for hundreds and thousands of nights. But this night, another star appears. And if we're not paying attention, we'll miss it. If we're not spending time looking, we'll miss it. Can I challenge you that we can get so focused on our world and our jobs and paying our bills and trying to make enough money to get a better house or a better car or to move up in our world or go on vacation when we're able to go on vacation. Uh, And we kind of get focused on that, that we miss, we miss sometimes when God puts things in our life because we're not looking for those things. And so when we get this wonderful, beautiful description by Matthew of these wise men Maybe Matthew was trying to tell a story in a subtle way because, again, when Matthew wrote his gospel, there's four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, each one of those gospels was targeted towards a specific audience. Uh, We know this by reading the context and the stories that some choose to focus on and the language that each writer used. So when we look at Matthew's gospel, we know that Matthew was, was focusing on the Jews. And one thing we know about the Jews during this period of time is that they believed in Messiah. They believed in the coming of Messiah. But when Messiah came, they missed it. And I think when Matthew is writing his gospel, he's just adding a few more things in there to go, guys, these, these heathens, these wise men, these these. These these men from the Far East, they weren't even followers. They weren't even God-fearers. They weren't even God's people. They got the sign, but yet you missed it. Because Matthew sort of digs a little deeper at this whole point because he gets in there and he says, oh, by the way, Herod, they go see Herod. Herod goes, okay, well, let me bring the scribes and the, the 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 rulers of the law here says in verse number uh, what was it the verse number four, Herod brings in the priests and the scribes and asks them about this whole situation and they verified it. yes, it says that he's going to be Beth, born in Bethlehem. He's going to be born in Bethlehem. Herod believed it because Herod ended up trying to kill all the babies in Bethlehem. But the priest and the scribes, the one who were supposed to know, they missed it. And so Matthew's trying to get their attention and say, hey, wait a minute. Once again, just want to remind you, you missed it. And if you're not careful, we're going to repeat the same thing over and over again. And then he goes deeper into the story about the wise man. And this is really I want to just focus on for just another moment here today. Because he gives us the description of the three gifts brought to Jesus by these men. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And even though we still have some idea of what gold represents in our world today, uh, we still uh, use it, we still value it, it still holds a place in our culture and our time, and it has been that way for thousands of years, we've lost a little bit of frankincense and myrrh. I don't remember the last time that I went to Walmart and looked for myrrh uh, in the aisle. Uh, I'm, I'm pretty sure if you ask somebody at Walmart, where is your myrrh, they would probably uh, look at you like you had just fallen off a turnip truck. Uh, So, frankincense and myrrh is not exactly something that we're used to, especially in our side of the world. I'm sure somewhere uh, in the eastern world they still use these things, but not here in the U.S. of A. Uh, So, just a moment here if we can, because I want to pull out three aspects of these gifts that tie to our current life today. Number one... They brought a gift of gold. Why would they bring a gift of gold? Well, usually when you would go and visit a newborn prince who was to be king, you would present him with a gift of gold. Gold was to represent his power and his wealth. Gold was to represent his kingship because gold was the, was the currency of power. Gold was the currency of prestige, and so when you presented a gift of gold, you were putting your stamp that you believed that this child was to be king, was to be ruler, was to be lord. So the first thing that the wise men brought was the recognition of the lordship of Jesus Christ. The second thing that they brought was frankincense. Frankincense was... Something it was more like a powdery resin, and that was it was uh, it was used um, it was used in censers that were um, burned in temples, and the fragrance that frankincense uh, would uh, put off was to be represented of these prayers and worship going to the throne of God. So frankincense uh, represented worship; it represented the the the, the 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 understanding that not only is this king, but this is someone who is to be worshipped, who's to be reverenced, who's someone who should be put in a place of honor. And third was myrrh. Now myrrh is something that I, most of us, I'm not very familiar with what myrrh is, but during the period of time of Jesus Christ, myrrh was very common, used, and was very commonly used as an embalming. Um, substance. And so it, uh, it was used when a body was dead. They would use myrrh to prepare the body and in some ways embalm the body and preserve it for burial. And so we know that Jesus Christ came to this earth uh, to ultimately be the sacrifice for you and I. So this myrrh that was given was a symbol of his sacrifice that was to come. Now, we sit here today, and it's 2020. It's the end of a long, long, difficult year. It's, a, it's, a, it's the end of the probably the most difficult year of our generation, and one of the most difficult years of any generation. I know it's hard for us to imagine that, or to say that, but I think when we look back at this period of time, we're going to look back. Excuse me. We're going to look back with sort of a, a shaking of the head, going, "How did we make it through that?" Uh, so you kind of look at all that and you go, <coughs> "Okay, um, what did these three men have to do with 2020? What do these three men have to do <coughs> with my life today?" I think it has to do a lot with our life today because I think these three men and their are these men and their three gifts. Excuse me. These men and their three gifts bring three important aspects that we all must have in our life. Number one is the lordship of Jesus Christ. Gold representing his kingship, his his, uh, supremacy, and ultimately the fact that he was destined to become the king of kings and the lord of lords. Today we are in a world increasingly filled with me and my and I. A world where no one wants to be told what to do. No one wants to be told how to live. Nobody wants to be told what's right and what's wrong. We are all our own leaders, governors, guides, kings, whatever you want to say it. We are all our own self-governing Entities. We are very much an autonomous society, self society. We get on our social media and our opinion is something that everyone should value. And if someone disagrees with that, we are offended because it's my opinion, and therefore, if it's my opinion, it has to be right. And we go back and forth on social media. And we have talk shows and TV shows where people express their opinion. And it all focuses back on me and mine. And, and I'm in no way not trying to say that everybody should be entitled to their own opinion. And nobody should be judged because of the color of their skin. And they should be treated differently because of the color of their skin or their education or their demographics or their sex or where they have been born or whatever. But we live in an increasing world where nobody, nobody's going to tell me what to do. Nobody. I am in charge. You can't tell me where I can go. You can't tell me what to do. You can't tell me, uh, should I wear a mask? Should I not wear a mask? Should I social distance? Should I not social distance? I understand we all have our opinions. I know some who think the mask thing is is imposing on our freedom, some who embrace it for the protection of those around, whatever part of that scale you fall onto, we all have our own feelings about the matter. But when it comes down to obeying the Word of God, when it comes down to following Jesus, there's one thing that all of us have to recognize, and that is that He is God and I'm not. If you don't hear anything I've said today or anything else I'll say in the next 10 minutes before we end here, understand this. He's God, you're not. And i got to be frank with you, he really doesn't need your opinion on how he should be God. In fact, he's been doing this before you got here, and if he chooses to tarry, he'll be doing this long after you and I are gone. He doesn't need our help on how to be God. He's God, and I'm not. So what does that mean? My Job is to submit myself and to align myself and to position myself to his lordship. If there's anything 2020 has taught me, if there's anything that I have been reminded over and over again in 2020, is that is God and God alone should be in charge of my life. It's not an opinion, God is not an accessory. God is not somebody that I fit into my life on Sunday. But every day that I get up, my number one goal is to follow him. The Bible says that the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. Not the Sundays of a good man. Not the religious activities of a good man. But every step. That means steps in my spiritual life and steps in my natural life. Steps onto where I should go and steps where I should not go. Every step should be ordered by God. Because today we live in a very shifting and uncertain world and I need to hold the hand of the one who knows the end from the beginning. I need to. Because I don't know what tomorrow brings. I don't know. There's a song, an old, old song that I used to sing when we were when I was a child that We would sing in church and it says many things about tomorrow. I don't seem to understand. But I know. I know the one in which I hold his hand. I don't know about tomorrow. I don't know what 2021. You can predict. You can read blogs and articles and experts. All you want. But nobody knows what 2021 is going to hold. We don't know if the vaccine is going to save the world or the vaccine is going to just be a band-aid. We don't know. And I'm not saying yay or nay on a vaccine. Don't get I know that's a hot-button topic. I'm not putting my hat in that ring. I'm simply saying we can't put our faith in anything because we don't know. But I do know the one who does. And so can I just give it to you straight one more time? Stop trying to be God. Stop trying to use God as your Siri or your Alexa, it's the person you go to who is uh, the person you ask when you have a question or the person you go to when you need directions. I'm not sure about that. He's not your Siri. He's not someone that you ask, Hey Siri, where's the, lo- where's the best place to get somebody? Hey Siri, where's the next gas station? Hey Siri, send a text. Hey Siri, call so-and-so. I better not say that too loud. Oh boy, Siri's trying to turn on. No, Siri, go go to sleep. Good Lord, I got listin' eyes. You got Alexa over there talking back to me and Siri's trying to call me. I can't talk. But he, God's not God. God doesn't want you to be, hey God, play me a song. Hey God, send so-and-so a message. Hey God, what am I supposed to... That's not it. He's not supposed to be an accessory. God wants to be the everything. He wants to be your source. And if he is your source and he is the Lord of your life and the King of Kings, that should easily translate into the second part, which is worship. One thing I think we've lost in our modern world is the awe of God. I remember back, I think I shared this with some of you. I might have shared it actually on one of the talks I've done in the last nine months. But in the beginning of of quarantine um, when we were having family time we spent a lot of time together as a family in the beginning of quarantine especially and um, we there's a show on the history channel called the bible and uh, it's basically a uh, history of the bible goes through the bible and 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 even though as a studier of the bible and as a somewhat um, a a a someone who uh, is, uh been studying the Word of God for many years, I think there's some things in the Bible series that were a little Hollywood, Hollywooded, if you want to call it that. It's not a word, but I'm going to use it. They were a little ex- ex- uh, not exactly cl- true to the text. However, uh, for a 13-year-old, a 10-year-old, and an 8-year-old at the time, uh, these... Uh, this show kind of brought the scripture back to, uh, uh, brought the Bible to life. And so we were watching those. And uh, again, it's in chronological order. So it starts from the very beginning and goes through all the characters of the early parts of the Bible. And um, I'm sitting there watching this. And all of a sudden I'm watching the part where Abraham is taking his son Isaac up to the mountain to sacrifice him. And I'm watching these characters unfold. And then later on we get into Moses and Joshua. And then finally we get into David. And all of these major characters of the Bible that are just, you know, they're mythical. They're legendary. I mean, David slayed Goliath. Moses um, watched the Red Sea part. Uh, I mean, Noah built an ark. I mean, these guys are legends. I mean, they're mythical. There's almost, if you weren't careful, you'd almost believe they weren't real, that they are sort of like Thor and Captain America and Superman and Batman, that they're fictional characters by somebody's uh, imagination. But to realize these are actually real people, and I'm watching all this, and all of a sudden it hit me. It just hit me. Wait a minute the same god who spoke with abraham and isaac and jacob and moses and king david and adam and noah and jeremiah and isaac and ezekiel and daniel and all of the people of the bible and then peter and james and john and mary and uh and 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 raised lazarus from the dead and then Paul and all of this amazing things of the Bible—that same God is the God that I can talk to. I'm not talking. To, I'm not talking about. I'm not talking to Jesus the 17th. This is not the. It's not the 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 Jesus the lineage of Jesus. Oh yeah, that was the that that God back then was that was the original God. But you know now we're dealing with God the 42nd. This is the same God. And I literally just was in awe of the magnitude of that God. That know that I could be here in my basement and in my house and open up my mouth and talk to the same God. Get this, folks. Get it. The same God who said, let there be light. And there was light. The same God who spoke to Moses and Noah and Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and David. That same God. Not a lesser version. Not a different version. Not a distant relative. But the same God is the same God that fills my basement when I begin to call on his name. When I begin to sing songs of worship and praise... When I begin to lift up his name and I begin to say thank you Father. I worship you Jesus. I magnify you God. I give you praise and glory and honor that that same God is here. Not a portion but the same presence that they felt is here. But then I can go further than they went because that same God that they fellowship with is inside of me because I've I have brought him into my heart. I've opened up my heart. I've been filled with his spirit in my heart. That same God. And when I looked at it that way, and maybe I'm just off today, and maybe I'm the only one, but when I looked at it that way, I was simply in awe of the magnitude of that. And I remember just falling down. I was in the basement right here. I was in my basement. I fell down on my basement, and I just fell and just in reverence and magnitude, because sometimes we can make God so familiar, and he is a friend, he is a companion, he is someone that sticks closer to brother, he cares about you, all that's true. But if we're not careful, we make God equivalent to Santa, the Easter Bunny, the Tooth Fairy, or some other fantasy character that we have in our culture. And we kind of make them the same that we lose the magnitude of that and lose the awe of who God is. Think about it. The same God who came to this earth as that babe, wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger, that same God is the same God you and I have an opportunity to talk to and fellowship and have live inside of us today. If that doesn't just your mind. I'm not sure if you can have your mind blown. Wow. What an amazing thing. And I am worried about my life. I'm worried about if I'm going to make it. I'm worried about 2020 or 2021. I'm worried about whether or not I'm going to be able to get through when I have the God who literally has seen, has brought people through. Every single thing you can throw at, look at the Bible—the difficulty from slavery to oppression to persecution to death to peril to sword—all you can imagine. The God who brought them through all that is the same God that I follow and worship and am and, and am submitted to today. And I worry. If I worry, I don't believe God's God. If I doubt, come on, He's God. That's why the Bible says the name of the Lord is a strong tower, the righteous run into and are safe. Think about that. What do you have to worry about? If you have a God that is that same God. Now if you, you serve a different God then maybe you should worry. If you serve a different aspect of God maybe you should be a little stressed. But the God I serve, the God I know, the God I fellowship with, the God that's in me is the same God that was there in the pages of this book why should I worry there's nothing too hard for God there's nothing too difficult for God there's nothing too big for God there's nothing that surprises God or shocks God or God's up there going man this is really throwing me for a loop I don't know what to do he's seen it all, he's done it all he's in charge of it all which brings us to the final poor part and that's sacrifice that ultimately, his lordship, his kingship, which causes us to awe and reverence, does not lead us away but towards the cross of Calvary, where we stand before him and look up the sacrifice of Calvary and look at the magnitude of his lordship and his kingship that would submit himself to the worst death possible. That I could look up at, him, up at him today in all of the sacrifice that he had for me and for you. I, uh, I might show this at, uh, in the, in, uh, sometime in the beginning of the year because it's so powerful. But I came across a video on YouTube of a court case, in which a man was on trial for a crime that he had supposedly committed. I believe he was somewhere around, I want to say, seventeen. There was a murder. I believe it was a, it was a double or triple homicide. If I can, if I can remember correctly, don't quote me on that. Um, but he had. ...been accused of this horrible crime, and the detectives uh, that were investigating it had pressured and um, sort of bullied him into a confession. And once he had confessed, even after trying to later on remove that confession, that confession was used against him, and he he was convicted and sentenced to life in prison... Later on, down the road, um, he had a retrial and, again, was uh, put back in the same position. And then, finally, there was another situation. Again, I don't remember all the legal particulars, but he was let, let out while there was a new trial to look at new evidence. And finally, I believe it was the third or fourth time he was in court, he was sitting there and they showed the video of him sitting there. And, um, he had actually, while he was the period, while he was out waiting on the final trial, he had uh, got married, he had children and, um, he's sitting in the courtroom with his wife and his children and he's sitting there waiting for the judge to hand down the verdict, whether or not he was going to be found guilty or he was going to be set free. And as the judge read the verdict and says that you have been, uh, found not guilty you've been acquitted on all charges and you're a free man and all of your record has been expunged. There's nothing on your record. You have never committed this crime. You're absolutely free. The absolute sheer relief and joy that came to that man was absolutely amazing. You have to see it to believe it's amazing. And to know that you and I, with our deeds and our sinful nature, or to be put to death but we had a god who loved you enough I enough to come as a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes lying in a manger who lived for 33 plus years but ultimately died on a cross for you and I so that you and I even though we should be guilty even though we have been found guilty are now able to be free by his sacrifice When I put all that together, his lordship, reverence for who he is and worship and his sacrifice. When I put all that together, I can recognize the true nature of Jesus Christ. He's not an accessory. He's not a Siri or an Alexa. He's the king of kings and the Lord of lords, the alpha, the omega, the beginning and the end, the great I am. The wonderful, the counsel of the mighty God, the prince of peace. He's everything. Don't miss the star that's shining in your life. Because God is asking and desiring in all of us to maybe take that next step, whatever that is. Whether that would be the first step of relationship, maybe you don't really know God, but you want to take that next step to get to know him. Or maybe you're somebody that's walked with the Lord for many years, but God's asking you, to take further steps whatever you're in as 2020 comes to an end and we look at 2020 I'm challenging you through his lordship through reverence and worship and ultimately through the power of his sacrifice that you would take that next step in your relationship with him and let him show you who he really is because he is the source of all But the more you dig into him, the more you want of him. Father, I thank you for all that you've done. I thank you for, Lord, this wonderful group of people that you've brought together. And so many of us are dealing with so many difficulties, so many different ways. But, Lord, you are with us. You never leave us or forsake us. But, Father, I pray today that you would open up our eyes to the revelation of who you are. That we would see and know you like we've never seen or known you before. And Father, by your power and your spirit, that you would draw us close to you. And during this difficult season that we are in, that we are desperately trying to just get through, but even in this, Lord, that we don't miss your revelation of who you are and what you're trying to show us in this period of time. I pray today for every person that you would protect them and keep them safe during this holiday season. But more importantly than that, that as we celebrate this season, that we don't forget you. Because in these times when you're showing us who you are, that we're not so caught up in our our own life that we miss who you are in all of this. I pray in Jesus' name. God bless you. I thank you for joining us today, wherever you've joined us from, and I pray that you would have a safe and prosperous uh, in holiday season presence. in Jesus' name.